Kids, your, week, your uh, word this week is belong, belong, belonging, any root word of belong. Uh, write down how many times I say that and ask your parents why. My scorekeeper, I'm going to choose a veteran, Chuck Workman. Hi, you're my scorekeeper, buddy. Stand up. Everybody get, has to see who you are. Stand, stand. Chuck Workman will be recording every time he hears the word belong, belonging, or whatever. He's a veteran, children. Uh, so not only come and run your score past him um, and not argue with his final score, but thank him. Thank him for his service, and I'd love for everybody to meet Chuck and not only Chuck, but the people who are standing as veterans and, and thank them afterwards. He'll be in the narthux. Okay. Um, as many of you know, I was not here last weekend because my family uh, was, was doing the Disney and... Uh, it, yes, it was magical. Uh, yes, it, we had the time of our lives. And yes, I returned bearing copious amounts of sermon illustrations that you'll be hearing ad nauseum in the weeks to come. Um, so many observations. Uh, I just had a running list of, uh, of thoughts. And my first observation is this. I was struck. I, I, I went to Disney as a child. I don't have many memories. But there was one significant difference between the Disney of my youth and the Disney uh, that it is now. And it's this, that Disney has become overwhelmed by selfies. Um, It is, I saw more cell phones last week than I saw Mickey Mouse's. Um, It is is a a strange phenomenon to to watch what social media has done to Disney World, to the whole experience. Um, And what it's done is it's changed the experience by making capturing this experience and maybe more importantly uh, sharing the experience more important than the experience itself. It is so clear to me for so many people there that it was more more important than enjoying it um, was for me to take a selfie of me enjoying it to show the world that I'm actually enjoying it. More important for, than, than kids experience the magic is for parents to record their kids experiencing the magic so that they can show everyone that their kids are experiencing the magic. Now, what's behind this phenomenon that, that has not just invaded Disney, but really all of the world? Um, it is unfair. It is unfair to chalk it up to millennial narcissism. I know that's the low-hanging fruit that everybody turns to. These millennials, they're so narcissistic, yada, yada, yada. Uh, That generational critique is used way too much. I saw a lot of older people doing this, uh, by the way. A lot of grandkids being recorded in Disney World. The only difference is they're putting it on Facebook and millennials are putting it on Instagram. That's, That's the only difference. And, And so I think we're all guilty here. What's behind it? There's something much more profound going on. The power of social media is found in our undeniable, unquenchable, I would even say, longing to be accepted, to be liked, uh, to just be, to just belong. There aren't many things more powerful than a Disney vacation, but the desire to be liked is one of them. And social media has given us a platform to turn everything, including even Disney, into an occasion to get likes. More important than the Disney experience is for people to see me having the Disney experience so that they will think I'm special. So they'll think I'm cool. 
so that my life will be enviable and ultimately so that they will give me that deeply intoxicating affirmation by clicking like. For so many, that notification on a phone that someone likes my experience is more enjoyable than the experience itself. That little pop-up icon is more enjoyable to me than Disney World. Where does this come from? It is born out of something inside all of us that is, that is noble and yet fundamentally flawed. Noble is that you are made to belong. You're made to be accepted. You're made to be loved. You're made to be liked. Flawed in the sense that sin has left us devastatingly insecure. We talk a lot about the guilt of sin in this church, and we should. Meaning what our sin deserves, judgment, so forth. But we need to consider as well the shame of sin. Not just what sin does to God, not just what sin does to others, but what sin has done to us. And what it has done to us, it has created a fear and an insecurity deep in the recesses of our soul that we are not wanted. That we do not belong. That we are unlovable. All of humanity is just one big uncertain mass of people walking around, as my friend Brian Habig likes to say, walking around all day, every day, asking people for an answer to this one question. Do you like me? That's what we do. We walk around all day asking each other, do you like me? In our passage this morning, Jesus has an answer for us. The answer we all want, the answer we all need, the answer that will finally bring an end to this seemingly endless search to belong, which is fueling the phenomenon of social media. And the answer is this, you belong to God. And the Christian says, I know that, I know that answer, but it doesn't seem to help me. I would say, do you really know that answer? Do you really know the depths of that answer? Do you really know the depths of your belonging? Today, Jesus is going to help us plunge these depths of belonging to discover what it truly means that we belong to God. A brief word before I get into it to those who would not identify themselves as Christians. Um, I always, when I preach, I, I always bear in mind those who might be watching in and considering the claims of Christianity. Um, And I just want to say up front this morning that this is one of those sermons that um, is really, really for uh, followers of Jesus. And and the reason why is because we actually really need this. Despite what we may present to you and to the outside world, we are actually an incredibly insecure lot. It's a very insecure gathering. Fundamentally, our gospel teaches that we belong to God. And we actually do believe that, but we also struggle to believe that. So what I'm going to try to do is convince the flock that God has entrusted to my pastoral care. I'm going to try to convince our people, those who are followers of Jesus, I'm going to try to convince them this morning that they actually do belong to Jesus. 
Now, I don't want you to just listen passively. My challenge to you would, who are investigating Christianity is to listen attentively with this invitation in mind. What I'm preaching to them, what I'm trying to convince their hearts is true, can be true of you. Your search to belong, a search that no amount of social media or anything else will ever be able to cure, your search to belong can come to an end with the good news that I am about to share to them. A good news that Christians have heard many times, but I'm going to do my best to just drill it into them this morning. That could be yours. Your search to belong can end with this. Now, with that caveat aside, here are my two observations for us this morning. We are going to look at the degree of our belonging and the surety of our belonging. Let's start with degree. What do I mean by degree? Well, here's the thing. I think that we know we belong to God. I think the Christian knows that, or at least we know that we should know that. But what I think troubles us is the issue of degree or depth of belonging. We think and act as though our standing with God is very precarious. Perhaps God accepts me, but it's a regrettable acceptance. Kind of like, well, because of the gospel, I got to accept you, but man, you drive me crazy. Or a frustrated acceptance. Why can't you just get it? Ultimately, it's a fragile acceptance. In this way, we tend to live with this low-grade fear that we are just on the edge of his rejection. That we kind of live on the outskirts of his acceptance. But this does not square with Jesus' words here in this amazingly deep and profound prayer that he prays. Dwell with me upon the degree of our belonging here for a few minutes. Verse 6. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were and you gave them to me. Do you know what that's saying? The word the word gave in the Greek here is literally a gift. It's just saying we are the father's gift to Jesus taken out of the world and given to the Son as a present. He says, yours they were, and you gave them to me. Which, which only begs the question, when was that? When, when did we belong to the Father? When were the Father's possession before we were even here to be given to the Son as a gift? Well, for this we turn to the mystery of God's foreknowledge, the mystery that we have always belonged to the Father even before we were alive, created, conceived. The Bible speaks of God's people as those whom God foreknew. That should not be interpreted as that those that uh, God foreknew about or foresaw a decision they were making or anything else that might come across as merely detached information that God knew because he's omniscient. Foreknowledge is a relational term, scripturally speaking, a deeply relational term. The conclusion of Andrew Murray's word study on that word is that it is probably best to translate it as those whom God foreloved. So try, 
We're talking about the degree of our belonging. It starts with this. Try your best, though admittedly impossible. Try to stretch your mind beyond the boundaries of time and space. The Bible refers to it as before the foundations of the world. Stretch back when all that was, was eternal God. And you will find within him a personal relationship with you. A personal knowledge of you. Before you existed in time and space, you existed within the eternal decrees of the triune God. Or, to state it less theologically and more personally and practically and pastorally, I suppose. Before you could think, God has been forever thinking of you. Doesn't it feel good when someone can't stop thinking of you? Isn't that the best part of the honeymoon stage of love? That they just can't stop thinking about you. You know they're always on your mind. God hasn't stopped thinking of you from eternity past. He can't stop thinking about you. This is the depth of your belonging that stretches back before the foundations of the world. Before you could know God knew you. Before you could love, God loved you. Before you could see, God saw you. Before you could choose, yes, God chose you. And he chose you as a gift to his son. Do you want to feel special? Do you feel beloved? Do you want to know how much you belong? It's not just that before the foundation of the world, he knew you. Before the foundation of the world, he knew you were the gift that he wanted to give to his son. Continue with verse 7. Now they know everything that you have given me is from you, for I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. So what he does is he transitions from um, God's knowledge of us to our knowledge of God. Here's, Here's what he's saying. Jesus came so that the knowledge could go both ways. So that you could know him personally like he has forever known you. It's not just that God knows us. Because of Jesus, we know God. Now, we take that truth for granted. But we shouldn't. God could have simply known us as an author knows the characters of the story that he has written. But that would not be true belonging. For the characters to truly belong to God, then the characters would have to personally know God, to personally have a relationship with God. That's what Jesus is talking about here, saying, because I came, they now know you, Father, because they know me, that I came from you, and they have believed in me, in us, in all of this. So the depths of knowledge is not just that God has forever known us, it's that in Jesus, God has entered in to make it possible for those he foreknew to now know him. Now look at verse 9, and we see this degree of our belonging in action. God foreknew us, we know God, implication, I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. 
one of the many problems of the bland, vanilla, God loves everyone belief that permeates modern thought is that if God simply in a cheesy, uh, domesticated way loves everyone, then God loves no one in a powerful, unique, special way. It is possible that God does in fact love the world, that is a biblical concept, that God does in fact love the world and yet has a unique, special, theologically speaking, salvific love for his people. I can love many people, even people who hate me. I can love. But there is a unique love that I have for my four boys that I don't have for you people. I'm sorry. I love you. Members of the church that I serve love you a lot. It's nothing like I love those boys. There is a unique love that I have for them. They belong to me. And everything from my hugs and kisses to my resources and inheritance are for them, not you. I love you, but they're going to get that from me. That doesn't mean I don't love you. It means I love them in a unique way. And that's what we see here from Jesus. I'm praying for them, for my people. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. My prayers are for the people that belong to me. And then verse 10 sums up what I would call the depth of our belonging. All, are my, all mine are yours and yours are mine. Meaning you are caught in between the Father and the love securely hidden within this relationship of the Trinity. That is to say God has you as much as God has himself. And if that's not enough for you then look as he concludes and I am glorified in them. Again, it's been two weeks. But if you recall, Jesus first prayed for himself and his prayer is that he would be glorified. And we talked about soli deo gloria, that God does all things for his own glory. And then here, Jesus reveals that he is glorified in us. And both are true. The God who does all things for his own glory has chosen us, his people, specifically his salvation for us, out of the world to belong to him. He has chosen us as the means to be glorified. Now what this means, people, is that you belong to God with the same degree that glory belongs to God. And that is a degree that cannot be measured. It is eternal. This is some serious belonging. Do you really think Do you really think that anything can threaten this belonging? Well, unfortunately, you do, because you're like me. That's what's amazing about our insecurities. I can spend all this time teaching and preaching on this depth of degree of belonging, and yet we still doubt And the reason we doubt is because that theology is contested by our real life experiences. 
it's nice to dwell so deeply on that doctrine, but practically speaking, we are besieged daily by threats that seem to us more powerful than a sermon on belonging. Circumstances, sins, fears, these things are more powerful than a sermon to us. And actually, Jesus understands that. He is not naive to your experiences in this world, which is what leads to his prayer request. We've seen the degree of our belonging. Let's look now at the surety of our belonging. All that he has said thus far in this prayer is him simply prefacing his actual prayer request, which is actually very simple. Verse 11. All of that leads up to this. Holy Father, keep them in your name. Jesus prays that the Father would keep those who belong to him. Now, why would he feel the need to pray that? They belong to him, so why is he praying that they would be kept? Because this world is so brutal to those who belong to God. And Jesus is leaving the world, which means he will no longer directly be there to protect the ones who belong to him. That's where he goes. Look at verse 12. While I was with them, I kept them in your name. They were safe and sound because I was there. I have guarded them and not one of them has been lost. I didn't lose any of them except the son of destruction that the scripture might be fulfilled. He's saying, I kept them all. I guarded them all. I lost none of them except for the one who truly didn't belong to me. But now, he says, I'm coming to you and I'm leaving them behind. So Father, please keep them. Guard them. Don't let them go. And people, that's a genuine prayer request. This is burdening Jesus' heart. He is burdened for those who belong to him because Jesus understands what we are up against. He says, he says Father, just as you sent me into the world, I'm sending them into the world. He knows how brutal that is. Look as he explains, verse 14. I have given them your word and the world has hated them. Because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. The world is going to hate them as much as they hated me. Now, I do not ask, verse 15, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them. Keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. In the Gospel of John, there's a lot of world talk there. In the Gospel of John, the world stands for the entire evil system of the fall that pervades this world. From Satan and his demonic forces to worldly systems that are in rebellion to God, uh, to even our own personal sinful proclivity to give in to temptation and join the world in its rebellion. All of it, Jesus has a mind here. And he says, my prayer is not that you would take them out of that, but that you would keep them, that you would protect them while they are in it. And we feel in our own lives very deeply the reason why Jesus is led to pray for our protection because we know firsthand how overwhelmingly powerful this world is. We know how much we need protection. And so we understand why he has to pray this. We hear 
the whispering lies of the evil one, our accuser telling us all the time, you know he doesn't really love you. You know he can't accept someone like you. We feel the pain of fallen circumstances in this world that cause us to doubt whether we truly belong to God because how could God let this happen to his child that he loves? We know so well our own heinous sins that cause us to doubt our belonging and believe his rejection because how could someone that truly belongs to him act like this? Oh, how this world besieges our belongings. And we are left with our only hope is that the Father will answer the Son's prayer, Holy Father, keep them. And so the surety of our belonging all comes down to this. Do you believe the Father has and will answer this prayer request? All of our hope of belonging to God rests upon God, not you. We are not strong enough to hold on to God. Will God hold on to us like Jesus asked him? We are not faithful enough to keep ourselves belonging. Will God be faithful to keep us belonging as Jesus asked him? The question of our belonging has nothing to do with us and everything to do with God. If it's on us, forget it. You do not belong. But here in this prayer, what Jesus does is effectively place it upon the Father. And so it all comes down to this. Will God answer this prayer request? And against all odds, keep you. The answer, beloved of God, is yes. The Father has heard the prayer of the Son, and His answer is a resounding yes. He will keep you, He will hold you, and nothing will stop Him. Do you know why I'm so sure of that? Do you know why I'm 100% sure of that? Look at verse 19. And for their sake, those who belong to you, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified. Now that word sanctified should not be viewed towards the way we think of sanctification, um, working out our salvation. In the Greek, it's just, it's set apart. For their sake, I consecrate myself that they might be set apart as mine. I will consecrate myself. I will devote myself that they might be mine. Devote myself to what? To what's before him. He will devote himself to death that we might belong to God. There are two extended prayers of Jesus recorded in Scripture. Two times we get to hear Jesus pour out his heart to the Father in prayer. One is John 17, where we've been living, the high priestly prayer. The other is shortly after John 17 in the Garden of Gethsemane. And in the garden, Jesus makes another prayer request. Let this cup, this cup of affliction, this cup of suffering, this cup of damnation, let this cup pass from me. Father, I'm scared. I'm scared of the cross. Could there be another way? 
The Father's answer to that prayer is no. Why? So that the Father's answer to this prayer can be yes. The Father could not answer both. He could not keep us while keeping his Son from the cup. And the Father chose to keep you. Do you really think he's going to let you go? Do you really think he will let his son suffer in vain? After all that was required to answer this prayer request, do you really think he won't answer it? Beloved, you belong to God. And God will never let you go. Now, our response. It's very tempted to take us to obvious and very appropriate applications. It preaches itself. You belong to God. Therefore, stop living your life trying to find the belonging that is already yours, whether that be social media or, or something good like marriage or career or beauty. Things twisted, like the perverse acceptance of the world of pornography and all this stuff. You know, it's, it, you, you get it. Repent. Lay down. Uh, whatever you're turning to, to find approval that is already yours in God. That, that I could have easily done that, but I'm choosing not to. Although I suppose I just did. But you can <laughs> file those away. I felt led to just ask one thing of us this morning. My one and only thing is this. For once, Christian, would you please just accept that this is fully true and enjoy it? No doubts, no hesitations, no qualifications, no hindrances. Don't give me the yeah, but. Yeah, but you don't know what I did this week. Yeah, but you don't know what's going on in my life. Yeah, but my anxiety says this. I don't care about that. Just give yourself over to the hope that this is actually true. And for heaven's sake, literally, for heaven's sake, be happy. (laughs) Happy and free this week in the unfailing unchanging, unshakable acceptance of God. Would you just be happy and free? Give it a week. Come back next week. I'll tell you again. That's what Jesus wants. I didn't come up with that application. Look one more time at verse 13, and we're done. I'm coming to you. I have to leave. But these things I speak in the world, before I leave, I have this to say, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Here's what he's saying. The joy of my belonging that I have forever enjoyed, that it might be fulfilled in you. He wants us to enjoy the gift of belonging that he has always had and has given to us through the pain of his own rejection. He died so that we could be happy in our belonging. Let us not defile his costly gift with our doubts and fears that we don't belong. Friends, the greatest way to honor this truth is to be happy that it's actually true.
So now go. Insurity. An absolute surety of your belonging and be happy that you actually belong. Let me pray. Or we believe, help our unbelief. We know we belong. Help us accept it even more. We've heard it proclaimed in your word. Now proclaim it to us in the table. This is your answer to Jesus' prayer request. Keep them. Here we have your body broken, your blood spilled, that the Father might keep us. Remember the Son's prayer, Father. Remember your promises. We believe. We belong to you. And nothing can change that. Because of Jesus, we pray. Amen.